VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. Welcome to Development Hell. For every horror movie that hits VOD, countless others end up DOA. Development Hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Corngut. I am a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Christmas is Cancelled. That's right, this has been a Development Hell miniseries where we cover the secret histories and alternate realities behind the most iconic Christmas horror films. That's our last episode. Today we are doing Nightmare Before Christmas Part 2. And as always, our co-host for this entire miniseries, Jinx! Jinx, how's it going? I'm, I, oh, we're just going to unlock this door. And are you awake? <laughs> Jinx. Josh. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, you scared me. <laughs> he was right. He was right at the door. Hi, Jinx. I, um, <laughs> I miss my family. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't recall what sunlight looks like. Mm-hmm. I'm um, undernourished, which is uh, actually hasn't been that bad of a thing. I, I've been meaning to go on a diet, but uh, you know, not not this way. Listen, we had to ensure that we had you for all episodes of Christmas is canceled. It is it's important for for the season to, for this series that we had to get it, you know, everything in proper order. And the easiest way for me and our schedule was to get you in in the basement. I've been getting you sandwiches. I've been getting you milk. I've been getting everything you need. I don't know what else I could be doing. But listen, because I'm a sweetie McGeady, I've decided to decorate the cellar with some Christmas lights. You look a little bit like toasty and warm down there. It looks lovely. The, um, (laughs) the chains chafe. (laughs) <laughs> in ways that I didn't know that I could actually be chafed. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah. that's, you know, that's, that's I just uh, not not really feeling uh, the Yuletide cheer this year the way I normally do. And we couldn't be more grateful to have our good friend Jinx here. Jinx, I know you're uncomfortable, but what's your whole deal? Who are you? For people that this may be their first time tuning in, what's your like whole childhood trauma? <clears throat> so I am actually a writer and podcaster. Uh, I write for Bloody Disgusting. Uh, among the few columns that I have, I write one called Phantom Limbs, which might be of particular interest to listeners of this podcast. It concerns 
basically the histories of unmade horror sequels and remakes and the like, basically genre extensions that never were, that were developed and for whatever reason didn't happen. Uh, in addition, I have a podcast called Scream Addicts, which is currently underway and nearly finished with a side project called Hammer Pub, wherein myself and co-hosts Ali Chapel and Paul Farrell, well, we have a few drinks and uh, we basically kind of provide a running commentary for a classic hammer film we've been doing them in order we are about to wrap up the classic run uh, i think the last one is going to be to the devil a daughter cool um which is the last horror movie that hammer made as it were um unless murder on the orient express for whatever reason might count i don't know mm-hmm. uh and then from there we're gonna go ahead and dive into new hammer uh which is gonna be you know we're, we're gonna start with beyond the rave the facebook or no i'm sorry it was a myspace series oh, wow that hammer came roaring back with and then the, oh, they did the resident yeah and then they did uh they really sort of um, reinvigorated the name with "Let Me In" and "The Woman in Black," mm-hmm. uh, which you know, if you if you ever free me, you know, I might invite you on for an episode, Josh. Just throwing mm-hmm. that out there, just dangling I mean, that carrot. You know, I have been desperate to get on Screamatic, so this is something I'm going to consider. Not for now. So for today, as I've mentioned, we're covering Nightmare Before Christmas. Some of the installments or some of these episodes, we're talking about secret histories behind these favorite films. And in other episodes, we're talking about the alternate realities. Today, we are going to dig into the alternate realities behind Nightmare Before Christmas. We are going to be talking about the sequel that never was. And we're also going to be talking about cool other side projects within this franchise that are still going to be coming to fruition. Um, Jinx, I was just wondering, would you be okay if I gave you a little bit of a seminar on the original Nightmare Before Christmas? Hey, it's like I always say, Josh, the guy with a gun makes the rules. So, uh, go ahead. <laughs> Great. So, The Nightmare Before Christmas is a 1993 stop-motion animated musical from director Henry Selleck. Yes, that's right. Directed by Henry Selleck, not Tim Burton. Tim Burton himself did produce and conceive this whole concept. The film itself tells the story of Mr. Jack Skellington, the proclaimed king of Halloween Town, who uh, stumbles half accidentally on Christmas Town, a whole other world, a whole other place that gives his life maybe a whole new meaning, hard to say. And he comes pretty fascinated, I would say, with that new holiday. The music for this incredible film was written by Mr. Danny Elfman. He also provides the voice, or no, the singing voice, for Jack Skellington. Performers in this fairly phenomenal classique include Chris Sarandon in the talking voice of Jack Skellington. We've got Catherine O'Hara. We've got William Hickey, Ken Page, all sorts of... Uh, hey, 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 don't stop shy. You were one uh, away from Pee Wee. Come on. Oh, yeah, we got Paul Rubens. There yeah, we, we, go. we love him. Let's then, keep going. We got, we got sh- Otho. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, that's Otho? Is he the yeah. mayor? Yeah. Glenn Shaddix, that's his name. What a kick-ass name. Shaddix, Shaddix, I'm saying. Shaddix. What a cool guy. R.I.P. We love you, Otho. I have to be him for Halloween one year. It has to happen. Shadix? Shadix? You know what? doesn't matter. It's awesome either way. I, it, it looks very cool on paper. And then, of course, Ed Ivory. Don't know who that is. Do you? Can you help me? I. He, too, has a great name. Yeah, very soapy, very fresh. Also, maybe kind of like a piano a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ed likes to tickle, tickle the, the, the ivories. Yeah. Oh, I bet he gets that every day of his life. So Nightmare Before Christmas, what we all love and enjoy, 
actually started off as a poem written by Tim Burton all the way back in Our God's Year of 1982. This was around the time that he was working very sadly as an animator for Walt Disney Productions. You might know that he worked on such features as Bambi and other weird ones too, and he hated it. But after the success of his short film, Vincent, if you haven't seen it, look it up on YouTube. It's magnificent. Absolutely. Yeah. After the kind of blew up, Tim Burton started developing The Night Before Christmas, originally as a short film, but it started to snowball and then into a 30-minute television special, but that never happened until eventually it was produced into a feature film. This was a, it's a very interesting project at Disney. Nightmare Before Christmas was originally intended to be, like, I believe, a proper Disney family function, and they then had one of the most infamous um, test screenings, I believe, in Hollywood history when they showed this film for a bunch of little kids and the little kids freaked out <laughs> and it was probably the scariest day in Disney history. So at that infamous test screening, Disney pivoted really, really fast. They then released the film eventually under their Touchstone label. For those who might not know, Touchstone is Disney's one of Disney's adult labels. I don't know if it's still around. I don't think it is. What Do you know about this? I do not. Um, my guess is that it's not around anymore. Um, but yeah, so they, they released it sort of as an adult film. They didn't really know what to do with it. People were really freaking out. And it, it did sort of become a sleeper hit. This movie that was considered too scary for kids um, would eventually make over $90 million at the world box office and get an Academy Award nomination for Best Visual Effects. This was the first time this ever happened for an animated film. Um, so I kind of want to get into how we feel about this film. Jinx, like, w- what was your first experience with it? How far back can you remember going with Nightmare for, Before Christmas? You know, I got to say, I, I this will do me no favors. But hey, if we're not here to be honest, then mm-hmm, why, mm-hmm. why podcast at all? Mm-hmm. Um, I was not super keen on seeing this movie as a kid. You know, I was 12 years old. I, I, It felt like... It had just missed me as a viewer, like a child who might be interested in the movie. Like I, I, I kind of fell in between. I was no longer a child who would be interested in anything even remotely smacking of like a fun kids movie, but I wasn't quite at the age where I could appreciate a harder edged kids movie with its own sort of like uh, unique visual style. I wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, so it just, I was in that weird age where I was just kind of like, eh, whatever. When it eventually hit, I don't even know if I rented it, uh, mm-hmm. being honest. I think I might have caught it on television, and I was like, oh, this is this is really good. This mm-hmm. is, like, amazing. And it always kind of bummed me out that I missed seeing it on the big screen because I wound up becoming a big fan of it. Uh, I remember it was a pretty big deal when the first DVD for the movie came out because it had uh, – you know, it had Vincent on it. It had, um, I That's think right. it had Frankenweenie, the original yes, short. So it was kind of like, a, you know, a Tim Burton lover, you know. Cornucopia, like, you know, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And so I, I was delighted when eventually, you know, in the late aughts, the movie started getting this this fun sort of resurrection where it was getting trotted out in 2000 theaters again every year for a week. Um, you know, mm-hmm. right around Halloween, you know, to sort of, uh, you know, tickle the fancy of all of the millennials who might have grown up on the movie as kids now being old enough to take their children to it or just go and, you know, get high and have a blast with it either way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I managed to actually catch it on the big screen for the first time that way. And I just even as an adult at that point, I just 
stared up in awe at the visuals on the screen. I, I so much that I love this movie now as an adult when, you know, I, I wasn't ready for it as a kid. And uh, I, I, I think it's a classic. I really do. I love this film too. I tried renting it when it came out and I was really young. I don't exactly know how young I was, but I remember too young and I don't think I even made it to like the opening title. I believe within a few minutes we had to turn it off because I was too freaked out. <laughs> but but um, as time go- goes by and I get a little bit older, I, I you know, as a burgeoning horror fan, I'm like, oh, holy crap, this is incredibly gorgeous. This is the music in it. I, I became an immediate fan once I was a little bit older. It's an amazing musical. It's not just an amazing animated film experience. It's like a it's like a really well written piece of music from start to finish and i think that's part of why it's become such a, a fan favorite over the years would you say that you're like a actual fan of it or would you say you're more of like a casual fan how far well, does i mean your love go? well i i would say that i am a fan full stop i'm casual would undersell it but neither still am i getting you know, Jack Skellington tattoos either, which I've seen, like, I, I can't mm. tell you how many people I've worked with who have, uh, who have nightmare ink. So, uh, you know, <laughs> but I, but I do really, really love the movie and I do try and catch it. It's a, it's a perennial favorite. So, uh, I haven't seen it this year. Weirdly enough, I missed it during Halloween, but then I, I, I missed everything this Halloween. Okay, well, so maybe, you know, I still got time before Christmas though. You bring up a, something, or at least you trigger something in my heart that I really want to bring up, which is the most controversial aspect of this film is it a Halloween movie or is it a Christmas movie? You got to yeah, pick. Yes. Yeah, I know. I kind of agree. You know what I like to say? And no, I never get a good response for this, but I keep saying it anyways. It's a November movie. Oh, yeah. Thanksgiving. It is. If we're How not dare having. You? How not, dare you no, no, say no, that Thanksgiving is in November because it's <laughs> not. It's in October. It's God's like given Thanksgiving. Sorry. It, well, I mean, is Nightmare Before Christmas um, um, Canadian? Fine. It's it's not, it's Canadian? Not, that was rude. That was hard. It, I'm never letting you out. You're Gosh, done for. Starve. Um, you're right. Um, yeah, you're, you're no, right. I mean, it, it, in a weird way for having nothing to do with Thanksgiving. Well, I won't say nothing to do, but I mean, for the most part, having nothing to do with Thanksgiving, it is kind of a perfect midpoint movie where, yeah, we're kind of sad that Halloween has passed us by, but there is the promise of Christmas coming up and right mm-hmm. in the middle that, that, that sort of sweet midpoint, you could, you could throw in a showing of a nightmare before Christmas. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I haven't done that, but I think I'm, I'm going to next year. I heard on a different podcast that one of the reasons Disney was so distraught on their first viewing of this film was the fact that Jack Skellington has no eyeballs. And they thought that, that there was like a certain uncanny valley bizarreness about that, that like they just couldn't get behind. And rewatching it a couple days ago, I thought, they're kind of right. It's weird as hell that this girl had no eyeballs. But um, it's cool, though. I like it. But there's I mean, even a point where he puts them, the, the Christmas lights inside of his eyeballs to illuminate his empty head. And it's like, <laughs> oh, God. Um, I think if you put eyeballs in those giant ass sockets, it would be terrifying. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Like right now he's cute. Yeah. It's a little weird, but it's cute and weird and cute is kind of like perfectly Jack Skellington, you know, totally. you put eyeballs in there and he would be the stuff of nightmares. Like, holy shit. Yeah. Even more than he actually is, because I think we take him a little bit for granted, but he's weird looking. He's cute, but he's spooky. 
Um, Jinx, how do you feel about the music in this? Is that something that you resonate with? Or are you more of the visuals and the the ooky spookiness of it all? No, I to me it's fifty fifty. I I think the the songs like it, it's a brilliant musical, and the songs. What's so great about it is that the songs perfectly complement the, the scenes that are on screen and where the characters are emotionally, in a way that you know every musical should. But what's great about it is that they're all great songs in their own right that can be listened to independently of the movie, I think. Do you have, uh, like, any favorites off of the soundtrack? Ooh. Um, I mean, it's got to be This Is Halloween, right? Oh, This Is Halloween is incredible. Do you remember when they did a, oh, Thou Shall Not Be Named cover of it when it came out again in 2006? Well, yeah. I mean, it was around the time that they were doing the re-releases, uh, you know, the annual Halloween re-release on the big screen. And I remember they eventually did like a 3D re-release too, but there was cool. a remix album with some pretty great stuff on it. I think Amy Lee's uh, Sally song is incredible. Didn't Flyleaf it was have Fiona a song Apple. in there too? Are you sure? I'm looking at it right now. The 2006 reissue bonus disc says, yeah, says Fiona Apple. I do think there is an Amy Lee version in this world, though. That sounds very familiar to me. But yeah, it's Fiona Apple on the reissue. I'm also seeing Marilyn Manson. This is Halloween. Follow Up Boy. What's this? She Wants Revenge. Kidnap Sandy Claus. And Panic at the Disco, which I remember for This is Halloween. Pretty cool. But yeah, I remember Amy Well, son of a bitch how did i get that wrong it's been a no, while you're right I, I there is a cover i there's got to be a cover like that out there because it sounds exceptionally familiar okay i'm me. i'm looking it up now i am this this uh mm-hmm. am, okay Flyleaf. i do remember they did what's <laughs> this which was great i'm not even i'm seeing a different thing than um, you. so what's on your playlist because I'm, I'm seeing a different album clearly where the hell is sally's song yeah uh, Sally Song, Amy Lee, number fourteen. Huh. I must be on a different album. Look under uh look under Nightmare Revisited. Oh. And that is the one that came out September thirtieth, oh. two thousand eight. There's so many more on this one. I remember this one as well. Yes. I have to say I do prefer Fiona Apple just as a person. Big fan what? of her. I, I love Fiona. No, okay. Yeah, yeah you said come on. Okay, you oh, you and no, not as, as a, person, a person, as an artist, yeah. as an artist. I, I, I'm sorry. I have to get serious. I have to get rude. But the last two Fiona Apple albums are the two of the most like incredible albums Look, from an I, American musician ever. I made. love Fiona Apple, but I would marry Amy Lee's voice if I could. Wow, that's beautiful. Amy Lee is really inspired by one of my favorite musicians of all time, um, Tori Amos. So that's cool. Oh, I do love Tori Amos too. That <gasps> you she, do. Tori Amos was like early crush for me <gasps> in the nineties. Well, growing who up, who could be hotter than Tori Amos in the nineties? Come on, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman and Batman Returns. Okay. But otherwise, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, mean, I shouldn't have said hotter. I should have said um, more beautiful. Michelle Pfeiffer, <laughs> Catwoman, <laughs> and Batman Returns. <laughs> <laughs> There's some crazy fucking artists on this album. Sparkle Horse doing Jack's Obsession. Did yeah. you say um, did you say all American rejects already with Jack's lament? Remind me Jinx, what was your favorite song on uh, off this off the soundtrack? Okay, so my favorite song is probably I mean it's got to be this is Halloween. Uh in the film itself in the um you know if if we want to talk like the uh, the revisited soundtrack Nightmare Revisited, it is yep. probably this is Halloween mm-hmm. and also Amy Lee Sally's song because um because Amy Lee. <clears throat> I mean, I'm still Team Fiona, and that's fine. That's I would fair. say my favorite song, talking about fucking Fiona, 
Uh, it's got to be Sally's song. It's so absolutely beautiful. It's a little bit oversaturated, just like this movie in general is a little bit oversaturated. But it's still so good. This is Halloween is great too. I lit- I remember literally jamming out to that when I was like a preteen or teen, like like listening to it and being like, yeah, this is li- very fresh, which is funny because it's such a musical. There's some melancholy on this in this music that they really nail, and it's really really beautiful. So, if you haven't heard the music off of this, I, I highly suggest giving it a spin. It's yeah, it's it's beautiful and fun and haunting, and it's yeah. everything the movie is. I think it's Danny Elfman. Really, it's it's like total total Danny Elfman from start to finish very oingo boingo energy do you have like a favorite character in this film even if it's minor mm. I mean it's gotta be Jack right like he's just his his sense of you know I'm a huge Doctor Who fan and one thing that the Doctor weirdly enough I don't know that anybody's ever made this connection uh, or maybe everybody has who knows hmm. Um, but I love the doctor's sense of wonder and fun and being amazed at everything, every new discovery that he makes, whether, whether it be, you know, something big and massive or even the tiniest thing, uh, that others might deem insignificant. It's all important to him. And Jack to me kind of strikes the same note. I, it's very easy to get wrapped up in the world that he's in. Because he's our hero and he's so wrapped up in it. He's so deeply in love with all of these new discoveries. Mm-hmm. And he he is the perfect hero for a story like this. As bizarre as he is, you know, with his his skeleton face and his uh, thin limbs and, you know, just the, the, yeah, admittedly, the kind of ghoulish nature of the character. He has such a good heart that it, it's so easy to fall in love with him and this, the, the sort of journey that he goes on. Uh, aside from him, I mean... Look, I still want Zero as a pet, so, you know. Did you know that in, is it Disney World or Disneyland or both, for the month of October, you know how every night Tinkerbell um, floats up to the top of the Disney castle and, like, uses her magic wand and, and I believe, sets off fireworks every night? Does I don't, familiar? but I love that idea. Yeah, so every night, there's fireworks every night in Disneyland, and I believe they're triggered by uh, Tinkerbell. And in October, Tinkerbell is replaced with a little zero floating up above. Love it. Isn't that really cute? And also, apparently, they turn the Haunted Mansion totally Nightmare Before Christmas themed. And I've, I've there's some Disney Plus show where they show them redecorating Disney world for christmas and they like get into the nitty-gritty of it and it's cool as hell okay i'm gonna finally have to make you know what i've been the universal studios many times in my life i've never been to disney but i need to uh <gasps> Jake, i need to fix that finally love disney i just you love magic you'll love it it's so I, I also think it's too late for you you're you're done for you have to go to disney as a kid if you don't take your kids to disney when they're children and you have the means to do so i'm calling C-A-I-S or whatever it's called. I'm taking your children away from you. Um, I have some favorite characters in this too. I love the mayor. I want to be him for Halloween somehow one year. He's so funny. I love the vampires. I find them to be hysterical. Um, they're, always, they're singing and dancing and have little umbrellas. And there's this guy, I don't remember who it is, but there's that town meeting where he, Jack is trying to teach everyone about Christmas and they're singing. And the guy goes, perhaps it's the head that I found in the lake. And it makes me laugh every, every time. I just love <laughs> the guy with the head in the lake. Like, what's happening in Christmas Town? They need help. So 
Jenks, were you aware that there was going to possibly maybe thoughts of a sequel in the 2000s? Honestly, you know, I probably heard about it at the time, but when you had mentioned it, I, I, I got to admit, I, I, I wondered for a moment. I was like, wait, was there going to be? I remember this out of all of our topics for the series, the most vividly back in the day. And we learned of potential studio interest in developing a sequel uh, when director Henry Selick sort of took to the scene in the early 2000s, 2010s to sort of announce that it didn't happen and why. So the gist of it is, is that yes, they for a while were considering or considering the option of doing a sequel. Um, this was after the era of the direct-to-video two-dimension Disney sequels of the late 90s, early 2000s, when Disney was in its like original CGI heyday. And director Henry Selick said to an audience when asked about the potential sequel, I'm going to rattle through the quote if you're comfortable with that. So I'm going to get in my, my famous Henry Selick impression now. Are you ready? Hit me. A few years back, Disney spoke to me and said the sad thing was at the time, they said, if we do a sequel, it has to be CG. I was really disappointed. I asked why. And they said, well, they didn't think stop motion was viable to make movies. I don't think they would say that now, and I don't think Tim would ever allow a CG sequel. There have been a few stories proposed and a few discussions, that's, uh, but that's really Tim's decision. John Lasseter from Pixar is heading up Walt Disney Animation, and he goes way back with Tim. Uh, he might persuade Tim to do it, but I kind of think not. Yeah, I mean, that sounds disappointing as hell. I can see that Disney would try to push for a CG animated sequel to this which totally in every possible way misses the point yeah let's just uh let's just go ahead and shout out a sequel uh let's just let's just get our boys in animation you know over at pixar to uh to work up some of their cg magic and here's the thing i think pixar's movies are generally kind of beautiful and i'm certain if they did a cg sequel that it would be very pretty but it's not nightmare that's no. not what that is. You it's know? the claymation moment. Um, but no, I, I do think um, that's that's where the charm is born from, I think, visually with that movie. And so, you know, I don't want them to... Because you know what's going to happen with Disney behind it all. We're going to go from stop motion to CG, and then we're going to go from CG to just flat animation for the half-hour TV series that they dump on Disney+. Plus. That mm-hmm. will be the way that that franchise goes. And, you know, I'm not even fully convinced that we need any more anyway, let alone have the characters trotted out ad nauseum until we get sick of them. Yeah, I I agree. I think they made the right decision not to get a cash grab sequel for this one over the years. Yes. I I think it would have been really easy for that decision to have been made. And I think, thank God, by whatever means it didn't happen, because it would have had no heart. It would have been a weird CGI mess. And I'm glad we didn't have to bear witness to that. Um, Another reason, I believe, that a sequel to A Nightmare Before Christmas wasn't made was, as Henry Selick mentioned, Tim Burton himself. Speaking to MTV back in the day, Burton had this to say. I was always very protective of this movie. Uh, Not to do sequels or that kind of a thing. You know, Jack visits Thanksgiving World or other things like that. Just because I felt the movie had a a purity to it, 
He continued by saying, because it's not a mass market kind of thing. Yeah, I I, I think he's right. I, I'm glad that he didn't make a sequel, and I'm glad that this guy was protective of this IP. I agree. Uh, you know, there is something about that world that begs for further exploration. No, I, I love a Disney Plus show where every episode <laughs> is a different entry to a different holiday world. Why can't we have that? And yet, at the same time, I do, when he says keep the purity of it, I understand what he means in keeping just that soul movie that is kind of perfect in its own right. It's this little gem that doesn't need any more polishing. You know, it's... So I get it. I get it. I, I get that stance. I really do. Did you know that we have a sort of sequel actually in the works right now to this franchise? Are you, are you aware? I I am aware now. You're aware now? <laughs> so there is going to be a novel extension of this universe by the title, I believe, of Long Live the Pumpkin Queen. Love it. Set to be published July 2020. It is a novel by author Shay Earnshaw, and apparently the book is going to be from Sally's perspective and detail her experience marrying Jack, becoming the pumpkin queen of Halloween Town. That sounds pretty cool as hell. I dig it. I really do. Uh, and I do wonder if this upcoming book follow-up, you know, could be testing the waters for a film sequel because... I, they do do that at Disney, I feel like. Well, much as they did with Hocus Pocus, another Literally. beloved early 90s children's gateway genre flick mm -hmm. that got another mm -hmm. installment via the page before getting the gang back together to step in front of the cameras one more time. I feel like that's what this is. It's exactly that, Jinx. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I have found a brief synopsis of this novel. Would you be interested in hearing it? Yeah. So, after falling in love with Jack Skellington and marrying him atop Spiral Hill, Sally must grapple with her new title of the Pumpkin Queen of Halloween Town. When she happens upon a new doorway near the grove of holiday trees, she inadvertently sets loose a villain who could ruin Halloween Town forever. Now... Sally must venture into the six holidays on a quest to save Jack and all of Halloween Town, a perilous journey that will lead her underneath worlds she never imagined, and learn the truth about her own past, and decide what this discovery means for her future. Kind of sounds cool as hell. Hey, Josh? Yes. Fuck yes. I know. When they said all the different ho the, the holiday towns, I was like, hell yeah, that's what well I want. I love the idea of positioning Sally as the hero this time around. Yeah, like, I love yeah. that idea. And plus, you know, I, I, I would want the gang to get back together. I would want Burton to sanction it. I would want Henry Selleck to come back to direct. But if, if, you know, if they did, I don't want the original movie to be diluted. No, but at the same time, if they were to come together and really try and give us something special, I, I would be all for it. And this synopsis, like for that book, that, that sounds like a pretty great start to me. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. I will be checking this out come summer 2022. How about you? Absolutely. Now, can I ask, mm. have you checked out any of the other extensions for Nightmare? Like uh, there was a comic book. There have been manga. Um, no. no. Tell me what you know. Not much. I <laughs> picked up the first issue or two of okay. the comic book. Um, and that was that not that was, long ago, right? 
No, not terribly. And I remember being kind of taken with the art. Um, but for whatever reason, I didn't continue picking it up. It wasn't really a judgment on the book itself. I might have been just sort of waning a bit as a comic book customer at the time. And mm-hmm. uh, I kind of lost track of it. But, you know, after this talk, I got to admit, I kind of want to go back and check it out finally. Because, um, you know, they are. They're, they're just such fun characters. It's such a great world that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't mind spending more time there. It's pretty crazy that we've only really we have one film in this franchise just because of how huge it is. After nearly thirty years, I know. Like that's insane. Cool. It's just cool that it's so embedded in the zeitgeist after just one entry. Like you know, it's cool. funny. I I currently work at a massive car dealership, and uh, you know, the manager of the section that I work in, like the internet section, she has. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas tattoos. And what's crazy is, is that there's this completely different sales guy who's in his 50s who has run auto dealerships, right? Um, who at his desk, he has Jack and Sally figurines perched atop his computer. Cool. Like the, the you know, the if you ask younger children who uh, Jack and Sally are, they're going to know. If you mm-hmm. ask people who are in their 50s, you know, there's a good chance they're going to know. Like the, this, the range of fandom for this particular film and how bright, you know, that fandom continues to burn for this movie. Like I... I I find it really sweet. I, I, I love this movie that is ghoulish and spooky and creepy as it is. Uh, and I love all of that stuff, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has a really great heart, you know, at the core of it. I love that it's managed to endure all of these years and without benefit of any extensions, you know? I couldn't agree with you more. And as a horror person, I agree. There's something really sweet about this movie it shows the world that just because we're gross and ghoulish doesn't mean that we don't have heart and that we're not in love and that we can't have you know aspirations in other arenas although i will say i'm a little confused by the moral of this film like it feels very anti-moana it feels like you know be happy with what you have shut the fuck up and sit back down um what would you say the moral of this film is I, I, to me, I always took it as, you know, to me, the movie is about the importance of exploration and broadening your horizons and seeing what lay beyond while also managing to appreciate what you have. Yeah. Uh, So I don't see it as kind of like a, a, you know, a reductive sort of thing or a, you know, you must never leave the bounds of, you know, your own yeah, tiny little world. To go beyond. It's very Hotel Transylvania. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the fact that the movie wrestles with a theme that's maybe a little more complicated than that, that ultimately mm. might be, you know, you don't have to trade one for the other. You know, you can have both. Oh, that's nice, actually. That's really beautiful. Um, I love Moana, too, though. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I love her. Um, and in conclusion... Jinx, are we ever going to get to see another Nightmare Before Christmas film or even TV show? You know, I I would like to think so. I really would. Uh, Given that, you know, as we'd mentioned, you know, Hocus Pocus is another Mm -hmm. movie from the early 90s. It was kind of spooky. It was for kids. It has this sort of cult following that led into a book being released that kind of, you know, was a... uh, 
you know, a bit of a test, you know, a bit of a dipping of the toe in the water to see if the mm-hmm. fandom was still out there in droves. And now we're getting a big screen Hocus Pocus. I, I actually is big screen or not. I don't know. It's probably going to premiere on like Disney Plus or something. It, it doesn't it, matter. It, yeah, 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 it is. It's, okay, it's Disney Plus. She's uh, a plus. Of course. Disney Plus. Ah. Uh, but uh, they get everything. Sorry. No, you're good. But no. So I think if they are willing to do that with Hocus Pocus, there is a good chance that they're going to push to do that with a nightmare before Christmas. We'll get the book. We'll see if the fandom shows up for it. If a lot of people take those copies home and then mm. I would imagine that will likely kickstart talks for a potential new installment. But I got to imagine the big difference between the two franchises is, you know, only one of them has Tim Burton kind of putting his foot down and saying whether or not that can actually happen. <sighs> yeah, but now he's old and makes bad decisions, so maybe we will get it. And oh. also, is it going to be claimated? Uh, if, uh, th- here's the thing. Whether they make it or not, if they do make it, it damn well better be stop motion. Do you know how they make, like, CGI stop motion now? Like, I- I'm sorry, was Caroline actually... Car- Coraline? Coraline. Was that stop motion or was that CGI stop motion? I want to say it was a mix between the two. I might be Mm -hmm. wrong about that. And here's the thing. I do love that. Like, you know, if you look at the various styles that were sort of uh, glued together in Into the Spider-Verse, it can be really handsome. It can be like artistically satisfying. It can be, you know, (laughs) it can be visually, you know, a treat. But A Nightmare Before Christmas has already cemented itself with its particular visual style. And damn it. That needs to carry on into the sequel. I don't want to see 2D, you know, like cell animation for or worse, although, like 2006 CGI. And oh, like, oh my no. goodness! Not, I don't want Pixar coming in and Pixaring it up. I love you, Pixar. Wait a second. But- what if it like? Okay, what if it was top tier Disney, like Moana level animation? Uh, no. But it was animation. No, that's not what it is. I know you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Come on, Josh. But Moana, I just love Moana. You know the big difference between you and Moana? Uh, oh, I'm real curious about this answer, but go ahead. Um, she's free and in the ocean and you're in my basement. Um, and oh, I would that's, say that's, that's, the, yeah, that's the, major, uh, the major difference. That's a laugh riot the two, right there, Between Josh. the two of you. But ha, ha, ha. <laughs> because it's Christmas, I thought, well, maybe. Maybe. maybe well. What are you, what are you what are you thinking? I thought that maybe are you, are you, you gonna let ap- me out? You would appreciate it if um you let me out. I got you this advent calendar, but instead of chocolate, it's mini candles. It was one hundred and seventy dollars at Sephora. Do you love it? You know <clears throat> what would have been cheaper <laughs> is just letting me the fuck out. Um, that wouldn't just- have cost you a penny. I'm just gonna leave that in the look sa- on the, my face. In the sandwich slot, so I regain and, my freedom. And I'm would have been priceless. Shut this little eye slot, Jinx. I wish you a happy holidays and an amazing new year. And um, I'll let your family know you like went to Vegas or something. Josh, you let me out of this. And everybody dungeon. else, we wish you guys you happy holidays. Um, bye, everybody. Bye. all right well thank you so much for listening and we'll be back with another episode of development hell thank you for listening 
to the Dread Podcast Network.